Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, and today have we got a program for you. We're going to be talking about today one of, I think, the core issues of all relationships, emotional safety. Now, that sounds weird and all like, oh boy, high in the sky, therapy stuff, kind of. But uh, have you ever just sat there telling somebody your deepest, most personal thoughts? This happens with Skyboy all the time. Like I'll open up and I'll tell him when I feel sad and I'll start sharing my concerns of life as a father of six and my worries. And he's like, how long is this going to take? And it hurts. So Skyboy, today I have a I have a, a lesson we're going to teach you about how to feel emotionally safe and how to create emotional safety with your host. So I don't have to feel awkward next time you divulge all your deepest, darkest secrets to me? Yeah, it's interesting. You feel vulnerable because I'm sharing my secrets. I feel vulnerable because you say, <sighs> yum, 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 because you yawn in the middle of it. I'm not going yum, yum, yum because there's no food to eat because you never bring food uh, to eat. Hello. I'm just yawning. Merit. Merit brought food Merit brought today. Food today. Merit. Yeah. I brought food. You're trying to feed us physically and, and yeah. have a conversation with us emotionally. Not only that, there were delicious scones, which... I, she never offered me one. Well, <laughs> well. The plate was sitting right in front of you. <laughs> so I assumed that was... I can't eat before I speak on the radio. Uh, I get all spitty. I was going to say, like, you know, butterflies, upset stomach, you know, a <laughs> not, bit of... Nope, uh, no, just spitty. Just spitty. And spitty and... <laughs> Radio, they don't work. Yeah. Well, you know. I'm fine with it. It's just Skyboy that I face that I'm worried about. I don't want to ruin the equipment. You don't want to spit all over my face because sometimes when you get spitty, it comes flying over the computer. and That's why I need to put this up. Yeah, I'm feeling unsafe again. See that? You don't even know that you just hurt my feelings because <laughs> I have never spat in your face. You throw stuff at me a lot, though. I do. Well, your mouth is open. If you don't want things thrown in your mouth, shut it. Just a little friendly <laughs> advice. We're talking emotional safety. Do you ever have uh, situations in your life where you really would like to open up and share, but you don't know how? Or you feel vulnerable and you're not sure how it'll be received? Or you feel like nobody gets what you're really feeling and are thinking in your heart? Emotional safety. We all have it. We all need it. In fact, I'm feeling a lot of it right now. I have a son. And that uh, I have six by children, by the way, and one daughter that just got married. We've had that discussion on the air. But I have a son that's leaving for Saltillo, Mexico. He's going away on an LDS mission. So if you've ever seen the Mormon missionaries out there in their white shirts on their bikes, he's going to do that, which is voluntary service in the church, in our church. He just he just volunteered to do this. We're spending a lot of money to send him out because he really just wants to go out there and help serve people all over his area. He's going to Mexico. He has a bunch of friends leaving. And I ha- I've seen this going on for years in our church. Missionaries leaving for years. I did it. I went to Argentina. You know, all of us, we've all done it. So here's the deal, though. It's one thing to go yourself and you're like, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. But when it's your son, that's messed up. Because now I'm sitting here thinking, like, I didn't think emotionally it would be this hard. Because I thought, this is good. It's good for him. 
He's going to learn a language. He's going to serve. He's going to get grow spiritually, all these things. And you know what? It's hard. And it's even harder to see my wife because she really likes this kid. I mean, I like him a lot, but she's like struggling. She's grown fond of him over the years. She's grown fond of him. <laughs> she, he was the biggest child I think we had and took a lot of time to get out. And I think that bonded them all that pain. And then I think feeding him, raising him, and he's the peacemaker. So our little perfect peaceful child, the one that never fights, the one that there's the minute there's tension, he jumps up and starts helping. The rest we've like got to tase, which is hard. <laughs> Subdue. Subdue. We, yeah, we just take him down. But he's just the perfect child and now he's leaving us. And it's devastating. And I'm noticing how I respond to my wife is either going to strengthen us emotionally or it's going to tear us down. And so it's hard. So that's why I wanted to do the show, figure out how we can be supportive of each other emotionally. My wife right now, the last thing she needs is more advice. In fact, when my son opened his mission call, she, we found out it was Mexico and everyone's like, Mexico, cool. And then we look it up on Google and then I start searching the pictures on Google and the third picture in was a picture of a drug war where a guy got shot and was in the street dead. Mm, uplifting. With his bike, wearing a white shirt. And everyone's like, oh, boy, your son's going to Vietnam, they thought. But no, he's going to Mexico. And it started to freak her out. And then she'd say, oh, I'm really worried about that. And I'm like, come on. And I dismiss her. Not good. Not good. She, I need to learn... To just be emotionally supportive, which I think all of us out there, we all do. So this is just me facing it with my family. I have another son. I hope no one's listening that is going to fall apart. It's my youngest boy. When he finds out that when we're dropping Jake off, my young baby boy is going to die because they're best friends. (sighs) Emotions. Who would think? Who would think it would be so hard to get rid of your kids? It is. So that's what I'm going through, and that's why we need to talk to an expert today. So we'll be getting into how to have a better emotional relationship with your partner. Merritt's also been doing some other research. I have. I found this list, and it's about different kinds of love. So when you're in a relationship, kind of how people express their love. Well, let me ask you, like, if somebody loves Kung Pao chicken, what kind of love is that? I don't think that's – I think that's, like – what would you call that, Bryce? You've, you're a psychologist. Uh, a, either either an obsession or a compulsion. Mm, I'll go with obsession. <laughs> obsession, sure. A food obsession. But that's not love? Is that what you're saying? No, no. This is more how people express their love in a relationship. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. So there. Are, this one's kind of interesting. It has 20 different kinds. Okay. So do you want just a sampling? Just, yeah. Ready? Give me a smattering of different kinds. So, so when you're saying if I marry someone... I may have married a different kind of lover than I am. Yes. Okay. Yes. I believe that. So, for example, one of the kinds of lovers is a giver. And so uh. they are very selfless in their relationship and they provide a ton of – Yes. They provide a lot to the relationship either because that's just how they express it or because they don't really feel good enough. So they try to compensate. So they're always giving, giving, giving. Yeah. Now, it seems like to me they should be married to a taker. And if the giver was married to a taker, boom, match made in not heaven. 
That seems like that's going to be self-destructive. Seems yeah, that parasitic. Seems, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Only one person's benefiting <laughs> <seems> from that. <laughs> one-sided. So um, is, are there, ta- I guess, takers? There, there are there takers, takers. Um, There's pleasers, people who just, you know, oh, people-pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, controllers. Oh, yeah. Selfish lovers. Doubters. Oh, uh, this is never going to work. Some of these are kind of, This yeah. will never work. Drama seekers. Oh, boy. Oh. Uh, Those drive me crazy. Pot yeah. stirrers. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Okay. Stir in the pot. Um, the compromiser. Are they like the martyr compromiser? Like, okay, sure. <laughs> Walk all over me. No, they just, it says, they may seem like they have no desires or wants, but they're just happy to accept other people's decisions. Oh, the doormats. See, those are the ones like when you're dating, you know you're married to, what do they call this one? A compromiser. A compromiser. When you're like, okay, so what do you want to do? No. Whatever you want to do. No. What do you think? uh, So I have have a friend of mine who does that all the time. Uh, Oh, hey, you want to go out to eat? Okay, cool. Where do you want to go? Oh, I don't know. She hates sushi. What do I do? I say, okay, we're going to sushi. We're going to sushi right now. Does she go? go? No, but she will volunteer some other place. If you say sushi. If I say sushi. So you have to take we would an just, extreme. I, yep. I think, I don't know. I feel like most people are indecisive. Yeah. But like with my friends, we'd have to take turns. So if every, you know, like Friday night or so, I'd go hang out with my girlfriends. We would take turns. It's like you have to choose where we're getting dinner and what movie we're going to watch. And it's all on you. Isn't <laughs> and, and everyone else is anybody so else's opinions. Yeah. And everyone it's your else, turn. keep it to yourself. Exactly. It'll be your turn soon. That's so funny. Okay, let me take you into the psychology of the person who can't decide lunch. Because I understand that's this, me. This is you. What it is is deep down, I'll have a thought hit my head almost immediately. Burger King. Red Robin or something. Okay. So you think, okay, well, it's just a lunch. And by the time I go to a place like, you know, a sit-down restaurant, you're going to spend $10, $11 for the meal, 3 or $4 on the tip. It's going to take more time. It'll take more. And so I realized the price of having to go out to lunch starts to get $15, $20. That's an awful lot. But I don't want to act cheap because maybe my friend who I'm meeting with wants to go to someplace yes. nice. But maybe they want to go – but maybe they, they're happy with fast food, in which case I would support that. So I act indecisive hoping they will throw a suggestion out so I can gauge whether they're wanting to just grab something really fast like a Costco hot dog <laughs> or whether they're wanting to have a full-out meal. And then once I get that vibe, I can jump in with my suggestion oh, of the restaurant I man. want to go to. But without that in- introductory That's just input, convoluted. I can't give the feedback back. That yeah, that screams neuroticism. Yeah, I think you're just a little thinking that just, just a, a bit. But like that's oh wow, that's so, way too complicated. And meanwhile, you just yeah, I just am like you know you know what? there's I'm not somebody in their anymore. car right now who agrees. With <laughs> no, that. totally. They go, they go I I no, thought totally. that exact thought. But better. that gets into so you kind of feel insecure to say something yeah. until you get all the data, and then there's other people that don't feel any insecurity and they just steamroll you. Yeah. Oh, we're going to sushi. Sushi. <laughs> sushi. <laughs> Shut your mouth. You don't you didn't even think price. No. You're like sushi. No. My mouth wants sushi. <laughs> yep. My mouth needs to eat. We go sushi. Why am I talking like a baby? It's simple. Weird. Okay, give us more. Okay, more. Um, the brooding lover. Ooh. So somebody who will get lost in their own thoughts all the time, needs a lot of space, needs really? to be independent. Oh, they drive me crazy too. That would, yeah. Okay. I love you, but go away. Yeah. <laughs> Man. But you're <laughs> Are you no. thinking what I'm You're the most thinking? important person to me. Stay, go, back <laughs> off. Walk away. Then there's a romantic lover, somebody who has to constantly kind of have flowers, romance. roses. Where, yes. Why, aren't, why didn't you bring me Grand flowers? gestures. I thought you were bringing flowers every day this week. Well, I'm just trying to eat. <laughs> Don't have money for flowers. 
Or possessive lovers. She's mine. Yeah. Um, on the other side, jealous lovers. Ugh. See, these are all emotional issues. Yeah. So it seems like most of these are probably problems, but if you could gauge what yeah. that was and the yeah. other person in a relationship, well, you could. Yeah. And you and your it. mom the whole time was telling you they weren't the right one. Of course. But, but she just didn't pinpoint which one it was. Yeah. <sighs> that's sad. There is there are some possible ones. Like look, the loyal lover. That's somebody that's who That's a great one. Yeah. Well, I mean, unless they're loyal to like a drug dealer, you know. Yeah, but they can't be loyal to somebody that's unhealthy. Well, that would be unhealthy with them. Yeah. Yeah. So that could be dangerous. Any others? Um, This is an overlooker. I like this one. That's actually a good one. Yeah, they overlook your flaws, um, and they deal. Of course, this person could be kind of walked over. Yeah. Well, especially if the flaws like looming, like I don't know, a a felony, (laughs) a felony arrest. Oh. He's a good guy underneath not all, all that. Not all flaws are created <laughs> yeah. equal. Hello. Uh, the guy wasn't innocent. The guy he had to kill wasn't innocent. <laughs> it's like, uh, yep. Why yes, are we having and... this conversation? <laughs> and like you, can't, like you can't get over a felony conviction and still marry somebody. No, you can. You can. Just should you? <laughs> Maybe just wait. Well, let's just wait for the trial. No, I want to marry him before he goes in. That's kind of the naive lover, the yeah. overlooker. Yeah. Um, there's the helper, somebody who always tries to help the other person That's become cool. better. Yeah. Of course, that one could turn bad. Yeah, because then you're like always. Yeah. Yeah. So you're always sick because they need you sick because they're helpful. Because they need to help. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like with these, mm. it's more you need to find out what that weakness is and be able to serve it a little bit better. See, that's. Relationships are complicated. So today we're going to cut through it. We're going to get down to the real root of all of this. The real basic gist is that deep, 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 deep down, there's an emotional need, an emotional want. And if we're not reaching those emotional needs, you're going to end up creating some type of love that's just a little awkward. Is that true, Robbie? You did research, too. Oh, you want the uh, 10 complaints people who are in marriages say are their yeah, top, top 10, 10 complaints. complaints of being in that marriage? I'll bet you bucks there's emotional issues behind each one of these. Okay, number 10. Yes. The – how do I phrase this diplomatically? Physical intimacy. Yeah, the frequency of marital Sex. intimacy. Yes. That's a big one. Think, thanks, Matt. We, well, were, trying to, we yeah. were trying to – we were trying to – BYU like, radio that. Just say it out. I know. No. They ha- yeah. It's the sexual key, frequency. Yeah, the, the key being on just each person has a different. Yeah, because again, they've tied to that intimate act this sense of well-being and purpose. Their identity might be connected to it. Huge. What's the next one? Division of household responsibilities <laughs> in today's modern two-income uh, households. Because if you love me, you'd clean. There's this impression that the other spouse is going to do the job, and because there's no impression of who's going to do what, the job doesn't get done. Sure. And then we argue about how we got the job done or how we didn't. Give me, Throw me a couple more fast ones. Number eight, she let herself go. Hmm. Or he let himself go. That's a hard one. Because now they're wearing sweats to bed, and we're gaining all this weight, and they breathe heavy well, when they walk upstairs. And it actually, they mentioned on the list, sometimes it gets so bad that it actually damages their attractiveness yeah. to one another. They oh, just, absolutely. Yeah. Number seven, unwillingness to have kids. Oh, yeah. Huge. 
persistently putting off procreation can introduce a lot of stress into your marriage. Oh, yeah. Unless Back the, to problem number one. You know, unless both parties are on board with it. Number six, differences in parenting philosophies. Ugh. Don't spank the child. I actually went on a date with a girl once, and on our first date, we argued over... We Just immediately had differences. You argued in over children. You didn't parenting yeah. philosophies. Look, it was a bad match. Eventually, you'd have to talk about it. That's right. So, but it, never in a first date. That was usually uh, it's better to get married before you talk about discipline problems. That seems a little inappropriate, but even still, yeah. Number five, inability to have kids, infertility can oh, totally derail issues. the vision you yeah. shared about your future. Number four, the in-laws that are outlawed. Yeah, it's easy for you to be critical of her in-laws, but not always easy for you to see the stress that sure. your family is causing. Yeah, her. but her family's messed up. Your family's perfect. They brought you to this world. Number three, house stress. Houses cost a lot of money, <sighs> and they have to you have to weed and garden and mow and water. Blah. And when it comes time to retile the kitchen, uh, who's right? Boy. Number two, financial stress, which I think is tied to house stress. Sure. The money is among one of the uh, most common things couples fight about most. And number one, boredom. You know, if you've been with somebody a long time and you don't make an effort to it's not as court them. It used to be. It's Emotional. Just, it's just not new. It's not new. And Stacy at work is fun and she talks to me and she never tells me I'm a problem. Whatever Stacy Because Stacy doesn't live with you. Yeah. Stacy <laughs> doesn't know you like I do. Scary. See, the root cause, I'll bet you, of all of those is some form of emotional disconnect, emotional lack of safety, fears, concerns. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to jump into this emotional intimacy topic with our own Bryce Tobin, who's going to do a rumination, not a rant, a rumination on emotional safety. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. Want more BYU Radio? Then check out our YouTube channel where we post segments from your favorite shows. And if you have a specific episode you'd like to listen to again, or even share with a friend, then let us know on our Facebook or Twitter pages and we can add the episodes you want to hear. Check out BYU Radio on YouTube and subscribe. Daddle is a professional artist who travels the world painting pictures. It is a place I enjoyed, and I've been there several times and love it. Then he comes back and shares travel tips, trivia, and history about the places he's visited. You mentioned the base seasoning. They, that is a big deal. That's the only place you can get it, and they put it on everything. Tune in to BYU Radio on weeknights at 9 Eastern for Traveling with Eric Dowdle. Listen to BYU Radio to color your world. Matt Townsend is the guide on the side, helping you better connect with people and the world around you. You could say he's a relationship guru. Matt discusses things like getting over grudges, bettering self, overcoming problems, and discussing what it is to be. Listen to the Matt Townsend Show weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern. Another great BYU radio program to color your world. On Sirius XM Channel 143, BYU Radio. Talk about good. Why not get your business involved as a sponsor of Cougar Sports on BYU TV, BYU Radio, and BYUTVSports.com. For details, call 801-422-1448 or email corporate support at BYU.edu.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend here. Today we're talking about emotional safety, emotional intimacy. Who knows more about emotional intimacy than our own Bryce Tobin, the emotional intimacy expert. Bryce, welcome to the show. Why, thank you, Matt. How did it feel to be called the emotional intimacy expert? Hey, I got all kinds of emotion. They're all just like angry emotions, but... Yeah, your emotions scare me. That's fine. Everyone has their own. (laughs) Well, we need the whole spectrum on the team. You've got the scary spectrum. Someone had to do it. So you did this little bit for us here about housing. It's You're calling it a rumination, not a rant. Not a rant. A rumination meaning you're thinking. <laughs> meaning while we were in our meeting, we're like, oh, emotional intimacy. How can we rant and make fun of it? And I decided, ah, let's not rant and make fun of no. it. That, you no. want to honor it. Yeah. The rumination from our own Bryce Tobin about emotional intimacy. What's something people want? Well, there's relationships, but we talk about relationships all the time. So what else do people want? They want houses. All right, so you know what that means. I've got a long-winded metaphor for you. At some point, we've all heard of Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The gist of it is that we all have needs, but there's an order to it all. Lower-level needs need to be taken care of before people are going to care about higher-level needs. There's a few problems with it. First off, our existence isn't quite that simple. Just because I'm hungry, that doesn't mean I don't care about being emotionally supported. But at the same time, if I'm drowning, I probably won't care if my behavior throughout the day has been morally and ethically congruent with what I feel is important to me. Another problem is that at the top of the hierarchy, some of the needs are more important for Western cultures. Things like achieving independence and becoming self-sustaining. I mean, the level at the top is called self-actualization. And not all cultures put such a huge focus on the self the way Americans will. So instead of a relationship, let's go with a house and start at the bottom of the hierarchy of needs. These are physiological. Physically, what do you need for a house? You need to build it. It needs a physical edifice. Bricks, concrete, wood, walls, nails, pipes, wires. You need all this stuff put together in the right way to make a house. And these things need maintenance. You can't let the house break down. The next level of needs is safety. For a house, these are things like locks on the door, insulation on the wires, outlet covers, railing for the stairs, carpets, smoke alarms, multiple exits, window locks. A house doesn't need any of these to function, but they make a house easier to live and keep living in. Next level of needs is love or belonging. Now, a house can't love you back. Houses don't have feelings. But to fit the metaphor, the only thing I can find for a house is a reason to go back to the house. This could be your family, your spouse, a pet, a roommate. That house needs to contain something that benefits you on an emotional level, but also benefits from you coming home. Next level of needs is esteem. These are the things that make you feel good about the house, like paying it off and finally owning it, or being the house that hosts parties and events. But you're also meeting this need when you do things like home improvement, installing additional light fixtures, painting the walls, putting in nice carpets, fancy bathroom faucets. Whatever you do to make the house yours, you're fulfilling your esteem needs. And sitting at the top is the need to self-actualize. If you've been paying close attention, I've called it a house this entire time. Well, when a house self-actualizes, it becomes a home. And the key difference between a house and a home is a place where memories are created. No matter how dilapidated it may get, or how the shower gets cold when someone flushes a toilet anywhere in the house, or how some lights flicker when someone closes a door too hard, in spite of all this, you still catch a mean case of homesickness anytime you're away for very long. There's lots of ways to find shelter, but a home is a place you return to just because. You don't have a reason that anyone can really understand. And that's okay, because it's your home. That was good. You done ruminate good. (laughs) You English well. (laughs) That was, like, profound. You took Maslow's hierarchy and walked them through a home or a house from a a building to a 
from a building of refuge to a home. I, I feel like it's like when you first move into the house, you yeah. know, you want to unpack your stuff, you want to do this and that. And then eventually, you know, there's some things that you got to change, there's some things that you need to adjust. And then eventually it's, you know, there's notches in the wall where, uh, you know, that was marks everyone's height. Yeah. Or there's that one stair that you yeah. everyone just knows that you have to step a little higher over it. That's cool. And you know where the cracks are, and you know where you'll get your toe pinched, and you know what door doesn't work unless you lift it right. Yeah. You just kind of get to know it. And then eventually it becomes safe. So this gets into all this safety we need in our lives. Maslow's beginning was about safety, but eventually it gets higher than that, doesn't it? Yeah. Then it becomes transcendent. Home. That's depressing because my son's leaving my home. That's okay. He'll have a bunch of new homes. I know. But they're not our home. Cool. Good job, Bryce. I'm telling you. Maybe we need more ruminations and less rants. Well, then we need less things that I can make fun of. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you felt safe to ruminate. Uh, I felt very emotionally safe to do this this time. That's powerful. But not other times. Other times I'm too vulnerable. Yeah. Well, well, one day let's get into that. Okay. What worked? Well, once again, Skyboy's yawning for us, which means it's probably time to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be bringing on our expert, Dr. Jeremy Bowden, will be joining us. He is going to get us into this emotional intimacy idea. What is it? How do we create better connections with our partner so we really do create that sense of home, that sense of love, that sense of feeling we all are looking for? This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking emotional intimacy right here on BYU Radio. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. A Pentagon spokesperson is confirming a full troop withdrawal from Afghanistan next year is a possibility being considered by U.S. leaders. However, he also confirmed so far no official decisions have been made. The Illinois state legislature voted to end the last remaining ban on carrying concealed firearms in the nation today. Both houses chose to overrule a veto by Governor Pat Quinn, enacting the bill without his approval. As George Zimmerman's murder trial continues, a forensic pathologist testifying for the defense is bolstering Zimmerman's account of how he shot teen Trayvon Martin, he claims, in self-defense. The expert witness says the trajectory of the bullet supports Zimmerman's claim Martin was on top of him when he fired his weapon. The agency handling the investigation of Asiana Flight 214's crash over the weekend is being rebuked by the largest pilot union. Union leaders claim too much information about the crash has been released too quickly, which could lead to false conclusions and compromise future safety. The Twinkie Snack Cake is making a return to supermarket shelves next week with one notable product change. Twinkies will now have an extended shelf life of 45 days, nearly double the 26 days the cakes had before the company went bankrupt. In world news, Gulf states showered Egypt with $8 billion in aid today, showing support for the military's decision to oust former Muslim Brotherhood President Mohamed Morsi last week. The nation's new interim president is calling for new elections to be held within a year. Mexico has taken the title of highest obesity rate, with 33% of the population considered to be obese, according to a United Nations medical report released today, edging out the United States by just 1%. That's the news to half past the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host again, Dr. Matt Townsend, and we are being joined by another doctor, a fellow doctor. But this is he's a real, like, academic doctor. Dr. Jeremy Bowden is joining us from Utah Valley University. He's actually a good friend and, a, you know, a comrade in the battle of trying to improve our relationships. Jeremy Bowden holds a Ph.D. in human development and family studies. He's a full-time faculty member at Utah Valley University in Orem, Utah. He also spends a lot of time working uh, part-time, at least at the Provost Center for Couples and Families, and is an associate marriage and family therapist. He's done it all. He's uh, currently is, researches a lot in sexuality and marriage, marital cognitions, attributions, and successful relationships. But we've asked him to come with us today and take us on a journey of emotional intimacy because it's a part of marriage. You know, we get the physical side, we get the financial strains of marriage. But one thing we seem to overlook a lot, Jeremy, is this the whole emotional side of being close. Tell me about it. What is emotional intimacy? Uh, that's a great question, Matt. And I, I just first thank you so much for having me on today. It's uh, definitely a pleasure. Um, I, I guess uh, really how I look at it is uh, one of the activities that I do in my classes at Utah Valley University. I teach a marriage and relationship skills course. And one of my favorite topic, topics is this idea of emotional health. And uh, one of the activities I'll do is I'll, I'll write the word emotional health on the board. And then I'll have students, I, I say, you have one sentence to define this. And what is emotional health? And, um, and they'll come up with different things such as boundaries, such as physical, um, and having friends. And, and then I'll have them group together and come up with a, 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 really, a group definition. And one of the common uh, themes that usually comes out of this, and I'll end up writing them on the board, is this idea of uh, the ability to, uh, to open up to self-disclose, and to really to be vulnerable, that that's part of being emotionally healthy. And, and what they're talking about, essentially, is emotional intimacy. Well, and that's, I mean, that's core to marriage, right? I mean, we can, but the, it's interesting because a lot of times it seems like the emotional safety thing, the idea of being vulnerable with our partner, it's, it's interesting to me because I have couples, you know, they can be intimate, they can are sexual, they can be, they, they have huge debt together, they have mortgages together, they have five or six children, but they really struggle sitting in a room in a space together and opening up their feelings and listening to each other's feelings and creating that emotional closeness. Yes. So they can do everything else. But that, and that seems like the real core to a relationship. Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. I I think that really what we have to understand that's essential in this, and and you you hit on it, is that we we really are hardwired to connect to each other. It's in our genes. It's, you know, as as I was saying that – even in prison, that one of the punishments is to put in solitary confinement because we don't want to be away from people. Yeah. um, And and to – to live in solid, solidarity, it's it's uh, would be abnormal. Yeah, and so we we are really hardwired to connect. And so with that, you're right that that we should be finding ways to emotionally connect. Um, my, like some colleagues of mine, Dr. Judy Fisher and Dr. Um, Sylvia Nehus did a, a study. She, Dr. Fisher, had collected some data longitudinal, 25 mm. years. Oh wow! And we measured, and they measured, and I came in later on and, and looked at some of the data. And really, what they found was over a 25 year period, if an individual had 
um, and really some of it is a skill. I think part of it is a characteristic and an attribute, but some of it is a skill that they were able to self-disclose, to open mm-hmm. up and to be emotionally intimate and talk about their emotions that it predicted 25 years later that they would be um, – that their marital relationship would be well-adjusted. Oh, wow. Um, so that's pretty significant that's as far as longitudinally. And so uh, – and it's also those couples we looked at, you know, different waves, right. different time points. And uh, and so that they continued to be. It wasn't that they were at the beginning. And it's not even just with it, it, with our spouse, but some of them were measured at the beginning of even uh, a friend that they were able to open up to, a, a brother, a sister, a sibling, things like that. And so that they had that ability and that later on, if you have that skill, that attribute, it really does influence your uh, your marital satisfaction significantly. So you So it doesn't even matter does it matter if both of us have the ability to do it or does it matter in the marriage if only really one of us has the ability to do it that's a good question i think for the most part what we know from the research is that unfortunately women kind of have yeah. an advantage to this cuz a lot of people would say even this conversation oh man emotional intimacy that's so frou frou soft <laughs> squishy yeah. yeah and and I've had people ask me about that. You know, is this if women are more socialized? That's a word that we'll often use. Socialized is it fair to expect that of men? And I think that's an excellent question. My response to that is, it's not a gender right. thing. No. Emotional innocence is not a gender thing. I, it's a human thing. Well, you brought up prison, yeah. and there's more men in prison, and still we know if we put them in solitary, it's it's a bad punishment. Exactly. So it's it's something we all want. Yeah, and and it crosses. Um, um, uh, gender, it crosses culture, race. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we are like I said, hard. I love saying the hardwired to connect. Um, but women do have a little bit of, of an advantage. At the same time, though, what we do know from the research is if men feel safe, yeah. as you talked about, if they feel safe to connect, then they are more likely to open up and to talk about some of their emotions. Now, they may not to the level that women right. do, and I don't think it's fair necessarily for women to expect a high level, but I do think it's fair for them to expect a good level of of emotional intimacy. Well, and it it seems like, too, that I might, if, because as a guy, I might not naturally want to talk about where I'm vulnerable. I mean, it seems like counterintuitive. It's like telling everyone where my Achilles heel is. Yeah. So, but in a weird way, that might mean make it so I don't even let my wife bring hers up because I might attack it or I might run from it the minute I see the tears or other things. Yeah. And I think that that's a fair point. Um, Men on, you know, what we also know from the research is that, and from scholars and professionals that men particularly are uh, afraid of shame. Yeah. Men and women are both. I mean, mean, and, and and just a quick caveat, I'm not really big on gender differences because I think that they're exaggerated. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we're much more similar than we uh, want to give credit for. And uh, and so with that being said, men, they are very afraid of being viewed as inadequate or failures. And so for them to be vulnerable would sometimes show maybe a weakness. Yeah. And so that's why I think it's important for women to make sure that they their partners feel safe um, with that. Well, and then and then I guess vice versa. huh? The guys have got to make sure that they're at least reading the emotional wavelength. I mean. Picking up, too, that, you know, feelings matter. 
Definitely. Tears are communicating. Well, and that that's the other side. I think that men, one of their greatest fears is shame, failure, and inadequacy. Yeah. And for women, I think one of their biggest fears is isolation. Yeah. And and so when they go to their partners and are trying to connect, let's say, for example, um, one example I'll often bring up in my workshops when I'm um, teaching couples is um, uh, uh, maybe um, – a wife that wants to um, go back to work. Mm-hmm. And for them, the male might perceive that as, well, I'm, I'm not making enough yeah, money. Yeah, you must not be good enough. And so she's coming to him, to, I, just, I just want to connect. Yeah. I just want to talk to you about, let's just hash it, just talk about it and throw it out there. I'm not trying to criticize you or anything, but he may perceive that. And so he's going to withdraw and she's thinking, hey, why? I'm just trying to connect here. And he withdraws because he's feeling great. I'm inadequate. I'm not making enough money. And so if, if her greatest fear is isolation yeah. and his greatest fear is failure, man, they're – and they're it, not meaning to. No, they're at odds with each other. And and so that's that's really where the breakdown comes. And this isn't um, – I mean emotional intimacy like you brought up earlier. It's – we used to do it kind of naturally with each other. When we were dating in that courting, high chemistry phase, we were always trying to make the other feel safe. We were always attuned to their emotional levels. I mean not always but probably higher than normal. And then it seems to go away. Is it, is, it, is it a learned behavior? Is this a learned skill that we can go learn and focus in on? Or is it more something that you're just kind of naturally more intuitive emotionally? That's a, that's a great question, Matt. I think that it's uh, – it, it can be both. Yeah. I know that's kind of yeah. a cop-out answer, but it can be both. It, it's a skill that definitely you can learn. Um, some people are just better at it than yeah. it. maybe the, their parents modeled it a little bit right. more and they were comfortable with that. Um, I, I'll give you a kind of a brief example that I think will tie into this. Uh, when I was first doing my master's degree in marriage and family therapy uh, at our clinic, we would get um, a sheet of paper in our boxes that gave us a um, uh, a new client. And they would ask them all kinds of questions, religion, yeah. um, age, and, and education level. And one of the things that they always had was it was called the presenting problem. And in therapy lingo, that's just basically why are you coming in? What are they bringing in? And what it was often when I would – and I asked the the receptionist, I said, please send all the couples because I just loved working with couples. And some therapists – They want to avoid that. Yeah, they want to avoid. But I just loved it. And so I would get them. And a lot of times what it would say is lack of communication – um, we're arguing, you know, no communication, thing like that. And as I was learning and uh, with couples, one of the things I realized is exactly what you said. They knew how to do this. Yeah, they were emotionally intimate with each other. They were vulnerable. Right. They self-disclosed. They were. They felt safe with each other. So what happened? Really, what I think what has happened, what happens with them, is that there becomes a pattern of negative interactions, and the safety starts to leave. So yeah. if I don't, and I kind of look at there's kind of three levels of of connection. There's a superficial, there's a personal, and then there's a um, increased vulnerability level. Superficial, we have to. We all couples do that. It's oh, fine. Yeah. We have to talk about money. We it's have like to talk. It's like the chit chat, exactly. And so we all do that. And most couples spend most of their time there, which is completely fine. Sure. I mean, if we were always sitting, staring eye to eye to each other, saying we love. You know, that would get old pretty yeah. quick. Plus, our kids would be gross. Now. Yeah, that is exactly. <laughs> um, and then there's a personal level, which you know gets into kind of religion, maybe and politics, other things. But the the vulnerable level is where you're expressing. Hey, I had a rough day today. And the reason that it becomes more is because there's more risk involved. Yeah. If I say, Matt, um, how was your day? 
and you tell me how you're. There's not a lot of risk no, involved no. in that. Um, but as I, if I ask, hey, what are some of your political views? There's a little bit That's more little risk riskier. because I can then reject you. Right. There's a level of rejection. Put there. down. And but and then if you say, hey, I really had a rough day, or if let's say my spouse comes in and said, man, work was really tough yeah. today. And I say, you know what? All you ever do is talk about work. Oh, I'm so yeah. tired of it. Yeah. That's a negative interaction. She risked. She, she came to me to connect. And then I. And you slapped it down. I slapped it down. And so if that's a pattern, she's less likely to risk. So it's not a, the ability to communicate. It's just that ability to risk. It's like to, to, to sustain that safe space. Exactly. Sweet. Doc, we're talking with Dr. Jeremy Bowden. Uh, from a faculty member, full-time faculty member at Utah Valley University. We're talking emotional intimacy and safety. We're going to take a break, come back. When we come back, he's going to instruct us into, you know, kind of what makes up emotional intimacy, and we're going to start getting into some ideas, some solutions in how you and your family, your partner, can create a stronger, more emotionally intimate relationship. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. In the future, astronauts may turn trash into treasure aboard their spacecraft. We'll explain why. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Trash disposal has been a problem of spaceflight from the very beginning. Food wrappers, packing materials, where do you put it? The traditional answer for the space station has been to pack departing cargo modules with trash, letting it all incinerate as it re-enters the Earth's atmosphere. That keeps the station clean and roomy, but that waste represents a lot of money and energy spent getting it into orbit to start with. What if we could put that trash to some kind of productive use in space? It would turn from waste into a useful resource. That's the thinking behind the experiment between NASA's Kennedy and Ames Research Centers. They are looking for a method to crush and heat space trash to turn it into inert insulation materials. These could help protect astronauts from space radiation. The same process would also squeeze out valuable water from the trash for recycling on the station while disinfecting the waste. Tiles made of compacted, inert waste would be used to enhance radiation shielding on the space station or even a two-year Mars mission. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend here today talking with Dr. Jeremy Bowden uh, from a faculty member at Utah Valley University. And we are discussing emotional intimacy, which is really, to me, core to any relationship. You know, we, we, have, we have all of this focus on the tangible parts of our life, all of the money, the debt, the lack of employment, all of these things that can be impacting our marriage, uh, intimacy, sexual intimacy, our children, all of these things. And yet at the core or the root of all of it, or most of it, I would say, is this this simple basic need that in a relationship, we've got to feel safe with each other. We've got to be able to connect on an emotional level. So we've asked Dr. Bowden to be with us today. He's a member of the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists and also a member of the National Council on Family Relations. He's a certified family life educator, 
and uh, he's married to Daria or Daria, wonderful, fiercely loyal companion who helped him get through his PhD program. Together, they have four children. You can find out uh, information about Dr. Bowden at his website, jeremybowden.com. Jeremy, thanks for being with us. Absolutely. <clears throat> thanks so much, Matt. I, again, I really appreciate being here. Um, yeah, this is a, a, a topic for me that just really is probably my pet topic. Is I just it? love talking about it. And it's one of my biggest focus when I'm working with couples in therapy and when I'm teaching at the university in my workshops. Um, and I, I wanted to bring up a, one of my favorite studies that I think is re- very indicative of what we're talking about. Um, and, and kind of going back to what you were saying earlier about this idea of that uh, having emotional intimacy, that that we had it before a lot of couples yeah. I and mean, they had that self. I mean, that's probably part of the love you felt was this. I feel so safe with him. I mean, your mother may have been thinking, oh, don't marry this guy. <laughs> he's he's so messed up. Don't do it. And you bet there was you were safe. You felt vulnerable and safe and OK with him. Yeah. And really, when we um, connect to each other emotionally, it is it is literally a bond. I mean, it's a it's an emotional bond that you yeah. create. I mean, you've probably had experiences even with um, this uh, with a friend or something yeah. or you meet somebody at a party and they go, oh, you're from my home state. And you instantly start to bond mm-hmm. and, and, you know, an hour goes by. And wow. I mean, because communicating and talking at that level is bonding. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so what happens with couples that they lose that? And I think that really what we were talking about before this idea of risk. But I wanted to note a study, one of my favorite studies, that they asked couples or they asked individuals um, what, what led them uh, or what would lead them to most likely uh, who are headed for divorce. And one of the interesting things, and, and again, I don't like to focus on gender, but there was a gender difference that they found. And hmm. specifically was that for women, it was um, they it was a lack of positive connection. Okay. That really um, uh, like distracted ate away. Him, pulled distracted, him away. Yeah, pulled them away, ate away at the at the um, the relationship. Interesting enough that for men who are more likely to uh, end the relationship, the marriage, was the um, the presence of negative connection, of conflict, of um, ridicule, criticism like that. Oh, interesting. So for women, it was a lack of positive connections. But for men, it was the presence of negative connections, conflict and things like that. And I think that that's very uh, – I, I think it's a very profound study oh, yeah. because we can kind of see where men and women differ on that level. But they both differ on an emotional need. Exactly. Her lack of positivity – and his existence of negativity. And it goes back to what we were saying, that idea of safety. Yeah. If she's not feeling safe in the relationship, she's not going to be getting those positive interactions. And and the, one of the reasons is is that he's probably not giving it to her or being yeah. emotionally intimate because he doesn't feel safe. He's so, pulling away. Exactly. Oh, and then it's interesting, too, because if she's not feeling – if she's starting to feel isolated or it's not positive enough, she might even be inclined to say something. To bring it up and to talk mm-hmm. about it, which inherently in him might create shame. Exactly. Like, why aren't you – I mean, if you were more loving like Jim next door. Mm. Jim always takes Stacy out. Yeah. And you're like, well, good. Why don't you go marry Jim, <laughs> you jerk? Yeah. But it's interesting. So that starts, that starts kind of the typical male-female slide, the exactly. pattern of the – and then the pursuer-withdrawer and the battle of chase, fight yeah. and flight. And well, very well said. And I and you you brought brought up that idea of shame, and 
oh, I'm not adequate as a husband then. And yeah. so he's going to withdraw, which is going to tap into her emotional safety. And so they're both. And That's I would huge. imagine they're I would guess that most of the couples that I work with, they're not intentionally. They don't no. wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to make my spouse feel emotionally unsafe <laughs> no. today. Right. And they really don't. And so it's it's. I find that most people, it's kind of a mantra, most people have good intentions. Sure. I really like to try to live by that and, and just trust people. Um, and they have those good intentions. Um, and so a lot of this does go back to this this uh, innate desire to connect. And we even know that from uh, attachment theory. We've... we've um, and and John Bowlby, I don't want to get too yeah. theoretical. But attachment or theory is huge. Recently, I mean, it's it's kind of taken precedence, hasn't it, in the marriage and family literature? Because it's we're st- I guess we're starting to find out that people some haven't had strong attachment. They they haven't learned how to truly feel safe because they haven't fully attached into maybe a parent. Maybe they were left. Is that the theory that they weren't? They didn't have a safe landing place. Yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite examples, if you've ever seen, if you've ever taken a toddler to a playground and what invariably happens is you'll put the toddler down, let's say that they're two years old and they'll go out and you can sit on the park bench and you'll, they'll, they'll start to explore. Yeah. And what happens a lot of times, once they get about 10, 15 feet away, do you, do you know what they often will do? They look back. They and, look back. And they're looking, are you still here? Are you still here? Yeah. Because that's my safety. That's my secure yeah. base. Is That's a word that they'll use in mm-hmm. attachment theory, the secure base. And, and so they'll look back. Okay, I'm safe. I can now go and explore a little bit more. And they'll look back. Now imagine if the parent ducked behind a trash can. The child is probably going to panic. Panic. That's a good <laughs> word to use. They're going to panic. They're going to cry. They're going to start um, getting overwhelmed and they're mm-hmm. going to uh, whatever. And they're probably going to start looking for them. What we know, and, and it was about 1987, some researchers thought, well, that's some interesting stuff. And it really started to be replicated um, and by some other researchers that this is, this is pretty consistent. And yeah. that children that grow up in those environments where they feel safe, they just tend to do better because they can explore the world and feel safe. What does that look like as a parent? So if I'm raising my children, I mean, so one of the things I guess could happen is if you're raising your child and you divorce and dad isn't around anymore, but mm. dad is a core part of you feeling safe, that could create this bubble of a lack of safety. Yes. Or definitely. something like that from your childhood could actually. Yeah, something like that. Or I, I think mm-hmm. what happens a lot in with parents is when we minimize our children's um, emotions. Yeah. Uh, or, or, there was a comedian one time that talked about how if uh, we'll often, you know, when a child, their balloon flies away, we'll go, hey, we'll go buy another one. Why are you yeah. crying about that? And he said, imagine your balloon, a balloon attached to your wallet <laughs> and it flew. You would freak you out freak or your out cell too. phone. That's right. And so for them, this balloon flying, that, that is a real thing. Yeah. And we, di- we dismiss it like we get dismiss over it. it. Yeah, exactly. And that's a good word that you use, dismiss them. Um, and I think that for parents, we need to recognize our emotional cognitions, our thoughts are going to be different. Their, their synapses haven't yeah. totally connected. And we, we can look at cons, uh, context a little bit better. But for them, it's very real. You know, their, sound, their ice cream falls on the ground. Well, for us, well, go buy another. And for them, yeah. it's the end of the world. And so if they're a child that's been raised in a situation where they've been dismissed mm-hmm. or they haven't had that, that secure base – 
that now then they become an adult and they're hoping their husband or their wife becomes their secure base but then she is or he is always pulling away he's not opening up he's not disclosing yeah. And then that, that creates that. And ah! whereas they probably were before when yeah. they're dating. And so they found this secure pace, uh, base in, the, in their relationship and they realize, wow, I can open up. But then what happens is the relationship yeah. starts to evolve. So. And, then, and then it starts the, then the fear kind of – the fear of isolation. He's not going to be here for me. Then maybe they become too clingy. Yeah. They're too clingy. It's too unsafe. He starts pulling away. And that starts a lot of this emotional dance. And, and I think that's what's important from what you said is that we have to understand that we're both trying to connect. We're both trying yeah. to feel safe. And so when our partner is maybe critical of us or is withdrawing, it's we should look at it as if they are trying to connect with us yeah. or they're feeling some lack of disconnection. They're not mean people. Yeah, they're not trying to suck the life out of you. Yeah. <laughs> they're not trying to control you. They're not trying to hurt you. They just – they want that safety. They want that safety. They're, they're almost like – it's like when someone's drowning and you're trying to help them but they put your life in jeopardy because <laughs> they're pulling you under. Yeah. But yeah. they just want air. And yeah. so emotional air, they just want – Safety. I like that emotional air. We That's just came up with a cool metaphor. Yeah, we need to. We uh, got to use that. We got to coin that and put that in a book. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking with Dr. Jeremy Bowden, uh, faculty member at Utah Valley University, and a therapist, and a father of four with a wonderful wife. He's trying to help us understand the power of emotional intimacy in our lives. Ask yourself as you're out there driving and thinking, do you feel like you're an effective, emotionally intimate partner? Do you know how to create that safe space with your loved ones? Do you know how to to make sure that um, they can risk, that they can be vulnerable? And do you know how to actually maybe coach your partner or your children on how to do that? We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Bowden's going to go even deeper. He's going to give us some skills, some actual tools for how we can create this emotional intimacy with each other. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Like listening to our shows? Now BYU Radio can go everywhere you do. Download the free BYU Radio app on your iPhone or iPad. BYU Radio. Talk about good. On the Tantera Hour, we join Ron Simpson for an insider's look at all different types of music. You've been kind of patient with me dancing through the decades, getting excited about new stuff, getting positively misty-eyed about older things. But no matter what song Ron is talking about, you can be assured that it's something he loves. Well, you may think I get over-enthusiastic about stuff like this. Tune in for the Tantera Hour, weekdays at 8 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Talk about good. Get comfortable, relax, and enjoy in-depth conversations with the experts. just makes perfect sense that these things would be discussed. This will take a while with Dean Duncan on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. In our world of ever-changing media, it can be hard to know what's good to watch. Kids are going to see tough things, but it's easier if their parents either prep them or talk to them afterwards. That's really what media literacy is all about. Stay up to date with Parent Previews every Wednesday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on The Morning Show. Very touching. I don't think that movie would make a million dollars if it released in theaters today. (laughs) On Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Talk about good. KBYU-FM, HD2, Provo. 
This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. A Pentagon spokesperson is confirming a full troop withdrawal from Afghanistan next year is a possibility being considered by U.S. military leaders. However, he also confirmed so far no official decisions have been made. The last state with a ban on concealed carry weapons in the nation voted to end the ban today. Illinois lawmakers in both houses of the state legislature overturned a veto of certain parts of the measure, enacting the law without Governor Pat Quinn's approval. As George Zimmerman's murder trial continues, a forensic pathologist testifying for the defense is bolstering Zimmerman's account of how he shot teen Trayvon Martin, he claims, in self-defense. The expert witness says the trajectory of the bullet supports Zimmerman's claim Martin was on top of him when he fired his weapon. The largest airline pilot union is criticizing the investigators handling the crash of Asiana Flight 214 over the weekend, saying the agency responsible has released too much information too quickly, which could lead to false conclusions and more future safety concerns. The Twinkie Snack Cake is making a return to supermarket shelves next week with one notable product change. Twinkies will now have an extended shelf life of 45 days, nearly double the 26 days the cakes had before the company went bankrupt. In world news, Gulf states showered Egypt with $8 billion in aid today, showing support for the military's decision to oust former Muslim Brotherhood President Mohamed Morsi last week. Muslim Brotherhood officials are rejecting calls to hold new elections within the next year. Mexico has taken the title of highest obesity rate, with 33 percent of the population considered to be obese, according to a United Nations medical report released today, edging out the United States by just 1 percent. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Again, Dr. Matt Townsend here talking with Dr. Jeremy Bowden, faculty member at Utah Valley University in Orem, Utah. He, de, uh, Jeremy has his uh, website, jeremybowden.com. But uh, really, I think the key to what Jeremy's teaching us here is people are emotional. And we all can read the pain in another. We can also uh, help heal people. By understanding their heart, maybe a little bit more than um, all the other tangible things in the world. So, Dr. Bowden, thanks again for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. It really is. It's great. And, it, you know, because we know your wife, Daria, is always calling in on the show, like saying, telling us about you. And she's like, my husband is always doing this. And my husband's get messed up because he's got these problems. So I'm glad you're here because we can work on it. Yeah, exactly. Well said. <laughs> you don't. Nobody believes that. Um, <laughs> So, Jeremy, fill me in. What? Okay, we've got the need for the emotional connection. Some of us, uh, we everyone has it. By the way, they call that kind of attunement, don't they? So, if my if I can get my emotion jiving with yours, and we're we can kind of attune to each other's feelings, this empathy. Um, some of us might have been raised in families where it's maybe created some problems in our ability to feel safe with another, and some of us just have kind of fought our way into not being able to do it with each other. So some of it's just our poor interactions. Mm -hmm. What do we do if we're out there and we want to change? We want to become more emotionally connected and attuned to the emotions of our partner. What what do we do? Uh, That's a great question. And I'd like to start out with kind of a a story from my own marriage. When, When my wife and I were first married, and we'd been married about a year and a half, 
And, you know, being a relationship re- a researcher and a yeah. therapist, obviously I must be the perfect well, husband. Obviously. Obviously. I mean, it's just a given. <laughs> or um, you're so messed up you wanted to figure it out in your own life. Yeah. <laughs> Which and, is what a lot of therapists and us and we end up doing, don't we? Yeah, exactly. And, and it's funny. People ask or talk to my wife and say, oh, I must be amazing to be married. And, and not so much. <laughs> not so much. I mean, and uh, I think on some levels it's helpful, but she just says he he's he still does the guy stuff. Yeah, he still does. So I am very far from perfect. Um, but uh, we were, I, and I remember this very vividly. We were sitting on the couch, and I was, and we were we were having a talk, and one of the things that I had been struggling with is was because I do what I do, I feel like there is a little bit of pressure. I need to be a good husband. And so I was thinking in my mind, you know, as, as a academic, I have checklists and things that I need to get done. And as we all do have checklists, I started to view our relationship as if uh, my wife was kind of this mathematical formula that if I put in these certain uh-huh. numbers and these checklists, that she will be satisfied. And so I would continually ask her, well, what can I do? Or, yeah. Am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? And and I found that she was never quite satisfied. I mean, we were we were happy and content, but I just felt like I could be doing more. Yeah. And, and and I would do stuff, and it wasn't getting the right results. And one day I said, you know, sometimes I feel like our relationship is a moving target, as if I'm trying to hang a picture, and you come in and say, well, that's not really where I want it. I want it over here. And then you leave and come back, and I have it where I thought you wanted it. And, it's, and you say, no, I actually want yeah. it over here. And I, I don't even want like, a picture. I Why are you hanging a picture? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You're supposed yeah. to be cleaning out the fridge or something. <laughs> and And I just felt like I was continually trying to do that. And she said something that was very powerful for me. She said, Jeremy, for me to be happy in this relationship, it's not about you checking off something every day or a list of items. I just need to know that I'm a priority in your life. And mm. I, for me, that, that – and I don't, That's huge. I don't know that she remembers saying that, but she said that and it really affected me. So I kind of put aside – this checklist yeah. of, okay, I've got to send her a text that says uh-huh. this. Now, was that helpful to say, hey, babe, yeah. how's, your, how's your day going? Yeah, absolutely, that's helpful. But I was stressed about it. Like, I've got to do these certain things. That's huge. And so when I started to shift my focus of, is my partner a priority in my life? And am I making helping her feel safe? That's when our relationship, at least for me, and, and she's, she's even said she's noticed a significant difference started to get better. And I think that ties into what we're talking about. Dr. Sue Johnson, who is a world-renowned yeah, couples she's therapist, the... she's fantastic. Um, and, and, and the world is a better place because she's here. Um, she uh, has really used the attachment theory to, to frame how we uh, can be better. And one of my favorite things that I teach couples and work with, she calls it the A-R-E, the R. And what it stands for is really, um, and, and as I teach this to couples, it's uh, are you accessible, are you um, responsive, and engaged? Mm. Okay. Now, I can be sitting there listening to my partner and um, fiddling around with my smartphone. Yeah. I could probably hear every word she says, and I may be able to answer a question. But am I really being engaged? Uh, Am I being accessible? And I'm not. And so what I've learned is that I literally have to set the stuff aside and engage with her. 
And uh, it's interesting enough, one study found, and they observed couples, that uh, when particularly, and I'm going to pick on the guys here a Of course, bit. you always do. I always do. Um, <laughs> and, and I feel comfortable because I'm a guy, and, yeah. I, and I struggle with this too. But it is kind of this, you talked about earlier, this emotional attunement, that yeah. idea, that it's where they observe couples, and when a, uh, their partner, their female partner, their spouse, would say things, something like, hey, did you see that article in the news about that, that lawyer? And if the, if the husband just kind of nodded and said, hmm, that, that was little engagement. Yeah. But it's when, um, it's when the partner engaged and said, oh, really, what was that about? Because women will often, and my wife will do this, yeah. she'll, she'll just talk. She just talks more than I do. But what I found is she's just trying to connect with yeah. me. She and, did, it, and she opens it up. Like it's, it's like she'll just say, yeah, yeah, tell me more about that. And she actually wants to have that conversation. And exactly. that shows responsiveness. And engagement. Yeah. And, and it also creates safety yeah. and, and that she knows that I'm engaged with her yeah. and I'm talking. Now, it doesn't mean that I have to completely every single time she no. wants to talk about what I want, you know, what we're going to go out for dinner, that I have to turn to her and yeah. sit down knee to knee. I mean, yeah. that's, we're not going that far. But it, it lends itself when she comes home or when she has had a rough day and she wants to talk about it, that I am there. And what they find generally is that husbands that do that that are that put down the stuff and engage with them and it could be even just oh really i didn't know that that's all it takes it doesn't even have to be 20 minutes or an hour it could just it it could just be a response yeah tell me more what's going on a response yeah i think that that's that's uh, and being responsive and what we find is that wives who are married to those men hmm yeah absolutely they're more satisfied and the husbands are more satisfied yeah and, and I think that that's a small thing that the husbands um, can do. And I think it goes back to the families as well. Mm-hmm. Um, when our child comes in and says, look at this, that we are accessible, oh, yeah. responsive, yeah. and engaged. Like we've them. all had a child that just will not be quiet. <laughs> and they come back and they, hey, dad, so this, and they just want to tell you their story. Like every day I have one that we just, you just look at them, you're like, go, go, talk, yeah. hurry. But all of a sudden you're not being accessible you're not being positively responsive mm-hmm. you're you just want it over with and like like you're saying we're wired to connect and so he knows I'm not wanting to hear this now yeah and and I try to I've made it a goal actually recently when whatever my child is doing if they come in and they've got a messy face if they got out of bed uh, you know once I'm not going to have a negative interaction. I'm going to be surprised to see them, or if they come in with dirty shoes, I'm not get you know I'm not yeah. going to be get out of here. And, oh, Nicholas, looks like you had a fun time in the mud. Hey, why don't you come over here and yeah. do this? Or huge, um, you know, and and talking to my other children. And I think that that's important to to have those positive interactions with them. No, I think I mean especially we have a child right now that is about to leave and we talked about it in the A block the beginning of the show i have a son that's about to leave to go away for 2 years for mm-hmm. an lds mission to mexico and you don't realize the emotional stress until they're leaving like and you don't realize man there's been we've had thousands of opportunities to lay down a positive foundation of of interaction and you start wondering have i done a good job there mm-hmm. cuz that's where all those spaces matter and now it matters. And then it's interesting now. And now my wife is starting to have emotional pain. And now it's like, am I going to be accessible to her pain? Am I going to be responsive to her pain? Or am I going to just be like, oh, come on. 
He's going to be fine. Nothing's going to happen. What's the worst thing that could happen in Mexico on the border? Um, so it's a big deal. All of a sudden, when we get pushed to these points in our life, it could be death. It could be your children going away to graduation. It could be an illness. It could be sickness. It could be financial stress. It seems like that's when you need the reserves of the emotional intimacy. Yeah. And if you have it because you've been feeding it and you've been accessible, responsive, and engaged, then you have some res- a reservoir to draw on. Uh, th- that's a, a perfect word, Matt, to use as reservoir. I love that that analogy. Um, and I think that one another study that I it's really important to understand is this idea of support. You talked about you know your wife coming to you yeah. and, with different things. And interesting in the research, what we know is it's not necessarily that our partner has been there for. We can bring up a hundred examples where they have, right. but it's just I know if I need it, it's there. That they're there. That's the key. And they'll tune in. And that they will tune in. That that's really what our partners need, that they need that support. Hey, they've got my back. Just like the child yeah. if I at the playground, I look back, mom's there, dad's yeah. there, yeah. grandpa's there, something is there. And just with our spouses, hey, I'm having a rough day. I'm at the playground, the world called the playground. I'm going to look back. Is my secure base there? Yes. And I'm okay to continue to go just as long as you're – Accessible, responsive, and engaged. And I, I love, love that. that. It's just great. Is that so? What are some ways that we make sure they know we've been we're there? Are there some rules for this? Are there some ways that we can that they know it? Um, I, and I think that that there's as many positive interactions as you can when they do when they do come to you that you're not minimizing their like you said. Oh, he's going to be fine. Yeah, you know, that's get not really it. what they needed. No. Um, they just needed to connect and, and just kind of talk through it for them. And a lot of times, you probably know this, a lot of times with your um, spouse, I know it with, with my wife and she's done it with me. If I can just talk out loud about it, yeah. I'll often resolve it through myself. It may not even get resolved. I just need to throw it out there. Yeah. And it's, so, but that's kind of, it seems like they throw out their pain and a lot of us just naturally assume it's about us. Like, and then the shame kicks in. Like, yes. oh, man. I'm a bad husband because if I was a good <laughs> husband, she wouldn't be having any pain or yes. she wouldn't be feeling this way. And I'll tell you one of my weaknesses and uh, it's something that I've had to work on is withdrawal. Yeah. I, I, would, I stonewall you know, yeah. if we want to get into yeah. Gottman stuff yeah. um, because uh, I've been reading a lot about shame and I never really um, thought I had much. I'm yeah. pretty good about myself. But, man, after reading some of the research, I thought. Man, I got a lot of shame. I'm full of shame. I'm full of shame. Shameful. <laughs> I'm shameful. And it's been helpful for me because now when I'm in those moments and I know my partner wants to connect, I can go, I'm feeling shame. That's why I'm withdrawing. And, I ha- and I'm not being accessible, responsive, right. engaged. And so I literally will just have to have self-control, which you know goes to some of these things that I call the unsexy rules of yeah. connection. Um, I don't know if you want. Yeah, what are those? What what, an unsexy rule of connection. And the reason I call them unsexy is because I um, a lot of times you know we bring in this all this fancy research about if you do this, you do that. Bring her flowers. Yeah, stuff like that. And really, what it comes down to is just you know what? There's three things that I tend to find with couples that I work with is that, and and even in my own relationship, is that if you can practice selflessness, practice um, a sacrifice and humility. And, and we can we can isn't get that into interesting? The, they they seem like those are so old fashioned. I know it's so it's boring. But you know what? It is boring. That's I guess that's the unsexy. Yeah. But the unsexy actually creates intimacy. If you'll, <laughs> I guess, if you'll be selfless with somebody, they know you're selfless. So they know they know they're going to be fed. 
Yeah, well said. I just went to a wedding and, you know, they cut the cake. And there's that moment where you're like, oh, what a neat symbol. They will now take the cake and feed each other. So it should be the selfless act of feeding. And the next thing you know, they're shoving cake up each other's noses. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you're blowing the metaphor. <laughs> the <laughs> metaphor is that I will always feed you. I'm not just going to eat my cake. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to shove it up your nose. But so there is a symbol there in our marriages that we have to be selfless. I'm going to look out for you. Yeah. And, and a, a, a big part of that is part of this you know, sacrifice is this that my – what I want in the moment um, – is is setting aside my wants and desires. Yeah, I'm I'm not a big person of using the word needs. Yeah, I yeah. we that's a another yeah. show. That's right. Um, but I like to use you know that uh, we're setting aside my wants and needs. I'm going to sacrifice that in this moment because I really want to walk away because I'm feeling a lot of shame. Right. Or I really don't want to hear this right now, but I know my partner wants to connect or my child wants yeah. to connect. I've got stuff to do. Um, also, the selfness is that uh, that our relationship. Our relationship as a couple, as our relationship with my child, is more important. Okay, and uh, then then being right. Yeah, that's the that's the selflessness. Okay, I'm that's so cool. right right now. And <laughs> as soon as she stops it. talking, I have five points to tell her why she's wrong. Yeah, I can't do that. Right, it's not going to because mm-hmm. the relationship is more important. And lastly, this idea of humility. Um, I had a friend text me one time, and uh, he's a single guy, and he said. Just random text out of blue. He said, "What's the, if you had to pick one attribute in a future companion, partner, who, what would it be? And I instantly thought humility. Because if we think about humility, it's really what it is, is this idea that, hey, I might be wrong here. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's practicing. And that's why I use the word practicing in yeah. front of all of these, that I'm actively practicing this. And they think, you know what, I might be wrong in this situation. And then also this idea that I make mistakes and, hey, you know what? That came out wrong, yeah. honey. I really kind of bit your head off there. Yeah. And I'm sorry. That is a repair attempt in yeah. Gottman language. And that's huge because, no, totally. again, it goes all the way back to what we talked about, creating safety. Where she go? okay, he's humble. Yeah. I would much rather my um, daughters marry a humble guy than a guy that's an amazing communicator. No, totally. No, so. in fact, I, my daughter just got married and she – that's it. That was the number one thing is that he's – He's really quick to apologize and want and, and recognize, recognizes he's got a lot of work. Yes. I and mean, if they can recognize that and stay, and I guess then you honor it by making it safe. So when you're humble, I don't ream you. Yeah. I don't need to ream you if you're humble because you're already on the edge of learning. Yeah. I don't need to slam it down your throat. Exactly. And I think, you know, one of the best things that my uh, one of the best things my dad ever taught me was to apologize. Ugh. I saw he would come to me to apologize. I think one of the best things a parent can do is to go to their child and say, "Yeah, I did this with my son the other day. I kind of um scolded him on yeah. something. I was maybe a little bit too harsh and I came I said, "You know what, Nicholas? I'm really sorry. I did it with my daughter Hannah. Um I had raised my voice a little bit and I came to her and I said, "You know what? I was wrong." I was absolutely wrong. No, that'll go down. That think of that about creating a safe space. We always know Dad'll come back and clarify exactly where he blew it. Wow, Jeremy Bowden, you the man. (laughs) Well done. Jerry is a lucky lady. No, I'm. She makes it as I was. She makes it easy for me to be a good husband. Isn't that great? That's called emotional intimacy right there. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. If you want more information from Dr. Bowden, you just got to go to his website, jeremybowden.com, jeremybowden.com. 
Again, lots of great stuff there to help you along. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to wrap it up. We're going to get into the Internet Asks Matt and Matt Answers section of the of the show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. It's a gearhead's dream, designing a robot bulldozer digger to mine the moon. We'll look at the challenges involved. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. Almost everything we know about building earthbound mining equipment is wrong compared to what's needed on the moon. Engineers at the Kennedy Space Center are developing a future moon miner called Razor. Razor's job is mining for hidden water ice. It will remotely scoop and deliver lunar soil into a processor. The processor extracts water to make hydrogen rocket fuel and oxygen for future lunar colonists. Razors could also pile up lunar soil around human habitats as free shielding and insulation. Earth bulldozers would be too heavy for a rocket to launch to the moon, but a machine that's too light in lunar gravity can't push against the dirt called regolith. The Razor platform solves this problem using a double-ended approach with articulated drums containing scoops at each end of a machine perched on tank treads. One drum braces and provides the needed leverage while the other drum gets digging. Razor could have to run 16 hours a day for five years without a break. A service call is out of the question, so NASA needs to design it for high reliability. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Could we all be so lucky as to have an important day today, something really important happen? I like to think that every day has that opportunity for us. And the best way to start your important day is by joining Marcus Smith for some uplifting conversation on The Morning Show. Tune in daily at 9 a.m. Eastern, only here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Talk about good. On Through the Garage Door, we're getting together to talk about music. Now, is anybody making horrible acoustic music? Oh, yeah. I mean, in, in college dorms all across the yeah, country. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, you know, major artists. I, I don't think there's anyone that you can excoriate. Tune in to Through the Garage Door for BYU Radio's look into what's good in rock and roll. Weeknights at 11 p.m. Eastern here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're wrapping up our show today on emotional intelligence. And what better way to do that than to simply uh, get into Internet Asks, Matt Answers. Questions from the World Wide Web, which uh, we're going to answer. Thank you, Colonel Sanders. Okay. So the question comes, uh, this couple's been dating a while, dating about a year. Mm -hmm. His girlfriend is obsessed with connecting with people. Wow. She likes to just connect with people. She's a connector. Socially, emotionally, make lots of friends. The problem is now that they've been dating for a year, she's starting to get a little – he's starting to get a little bit jealous because they'll go on a date, maybe you know, with some friends or whatever, and she'll keep getting the phone numbers of a bunch of guys at the restaurant there where they're at. Yeah. And she's it, it, just looking for connection. You know, I, I mean in a generally innocent sense. Is she running but, for office? No. So what does she need all the connections for? I don't know. And that's his concern is he's saying, well, is she – 
coming up with a list of people to replace me or – I don't know. It makes him feel uncomfortable. Insecure. Insecure. Unsafe. Unsafe. Now, based on our show, some of that safety might go back to his childhood. Maybe he didn't have that safe, secure base that we were talking about earlier. Or maybe he's married to somebody that, I don't know, is trying to build a multi-level marketing network in Oliver Connections or is running for an office. The interesting thing is, I guess, here's the key. He needs to tell her. It it makes me feel strange, uh, even slightly insecure, that you're constantly working the group and getting phone numbers and emails and Facebook pages and maybe just see what her motives are. And we have to we have to evaluate. Does he have his own insecurity problems anyway, which it sounds like a little bit. And she probably seems a little extreme in the need to connect. There is a rule that safety doesn't just happen naturally. We have to make it happen. So if we want to feel safe with each other and we want to make a relationship last, they're going to need to talk. They're also going to need to find out straight up if they're going to work. Well, if he's going to be insecure, it's not going to work. If she's going to always need other connections other than him. He did approach her about it. And she oh, says, oh, it's just friendly encounters. I just want to connect with people. Yeah. But she'll walk up to everybody. She'll go into the gas station and there's a guy who's like 55 <laughs> years old at the counter. Which is oh, fine. Oh, she'll talk to him. Hey, let me get your phone number. Yeah, we can see, chat that's sometime. weird. So that's you don't cool. need a guy's phone number from, you know, 7-Eleven. From Exxon. But you, so I don't, I wouldn't worry about her just being super social. I wouldn't worry about that. Taking away phone numbers and all of these other more personal connections, got to get rid of it. That's my advice. Ding. Next question. Ding. Another angel got its wings. Um, this uh, person writes to say her great grandmother passed away. The house was, they worked hard to clean up the house and sell it. Yeah. Got uh, about a hundred grand for selling it. They thought, who should we give this money to? How about great-grandma's daughter? Grandma. Grandma. She has medical bills. Yeah. Well, it seems natural. Grandma's money would go to grandma. Yeah. Or great-grandma's money would go to grandma. Yeah. And she could use the money, too. Sure. So the problem is they have Moocher uncle who hasn't kept a job or whatever. He didn't help clean the house. He's asking questions like, hey, how can I get my hands on some of this money? I guess he uh, smooth-talked grandma or maybe grandma's just nice. Spent the hundred grand on buying him a house. But spent another hundred grand, or same, this same hundred okay. grand. Oh my heavens! So that put a little wedge in the family. Sure. Now they're divided. Uh, that caused a fight where mom is mad with grandma. They're not talking to each other. Um, uncle loses the house, moves in with grandma. So, so years, now it's, yeah, years have gone by, five, six, seven years, and this person writing because she has to. I guess, side with her mom or whatever. It just kind of got awkward. Yeah. She never intended to put that wedge between her and her grandma. Right. But now she she wants to reconnect. Grandma's getting old. Grandma yeah. might be dying soon. But uncle moved in. And Weird he's, uncle Al. He's kind of alcoholic and scary. How do you reconnect okay. with your grandma who you haven't talked to in six or seven years? A, you don't need to be dysfunctional just because everyone else in your family is dysfunctional. Okay? They're all messed up. We already get that. B, I would go get grandma... I'd put her in the car, and I'd take her out to lunch away from crazy Uncle Al, and I'd start forging a relationship. Why on earth would grandchild not need want, not have a relationship with grandma just because your mother doesn't? Let's not be dysfunctional. Something's guiding this young lady to want to connect to grandma. I'd follow your heart. If your heart says we need to go start connecting with grandma, let's do it. If, if she can't leave and Weird Uncle Al is there, then just ask Weird Uncle Al to leave the room because you want to make your own relationship with her. Uh, isn't it funny, though? Once we feel unsafe, like we've talked about in the show, 
we start to become dysfunctional. And that safety makes me fight or flight. So I turn into a fighter against my mother or I turn into a flighter and I run from her. The reality is the last thing we need are more dysfunctional people. Man. So here's your assignment. Call grandma today. Get her. uh, Ask her if you can take her to lunch. Go start forging a relationship. I'd even start out with saying, I don't know exactly what happened between you and my mom. I just know that I love you both and I'm going to be the difference. Um, And just start doing what your heart's telling you to do. Your heart is telling you to go be with grandma for a reason. And I would always follow that in the end. Uh, I think your heart will serve you well. That's my advice for that uh, crazy experience. Bing! Another angel gets its wings. Uh, That is the show, my friends, the Matt Townsend Show. We hope we've given you some insight, some tools. Again, relationships matter and feelings uh, exist in all of us. And we need to start paying attention to them. Let's not just run from them. Let's not just start creating relationships and lives that are so filled with only things. Let's also get to the deeper issue, the heart, the feeling, the love. In the end, when you're done and you die and you leave this great earth, you're still going to have feelings uh, for the people that leave and those feelings will stay with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with more great tools and ideas to help you uh, make it through this crazy thing we call life. This is the show and you're listening to BYU Radio right here on Sirius XM 143.